June, we got Whitney on the line here. What do you want to ask him? What advice would you give to a new investor who's conducting due diligence for the first time? Don't do it by yourself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, have an experienced one. team mm-hmm. member. Uh, so one of the problems I made on my first deal in 2009 was not doing proper due diligence. I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this really good. I'm going to hire a professional company. You know, this company came in very well known. Think, okay, you know, I've got, I've got this. You know, we're going to figure out what we need to know here. It, it didn't help me to think through, okay, well, these AC units are 30 years old. You know, I mean, and that seems so simple, right? But you're so motivated for that first deal. You know, you're so ready and you trust. I trusted the seller too much, trusted the, the, that realtor too much. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 87 and part of our Ask the Experts series. Today, we bring on experienced guest Whitney Sewell and aspiring investor June Shin. And today we talk about due diligence, giving back, and finding a mentor in multifamily. And now, the show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. I'm super excited for today's show. It's one of our Ask the Expert episodes, and we have two absolutely amazing people on the line with us right now. We've got a man with a ton of experience in this and other businesses, Whitney Sewell, and a very motivated, aspiring investor, June Shin. So Whitney is the president of LifeBridge Capital, which is a syndicated multifamily investment firm with over $100 million in assets under management. He also hosts The Real Estate Syndication Show, a daily investment podcast where he has interviewed over 800 experts in the field. He's the founder of LifeBridge Foundation and a nonprofit that supports orphans and their adoptive families. That said, Whitney, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, I love this setup, by the way. I think it's just a, a great idea, Brian. Hats off to you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I, I have to defer that compliment to my my business partners. You know, we were brainstorming this, and I think it was Eric Shirley who who brought up this idea. And quite frankly, we we'd realized that everybody was jumping into the to the podcast business, and we we wanted to do something just a little bit different. And this is this is what we came up with. But speaking of podcasts, you have a really great podcast. You want to tell us just a little bit about that? Sure. We've done 800 and actually I just recorded 800 860th show this morning. And uh, and so moving right along there, yeah, it's just in the last about two to just over two years now. So daily show seven days a week. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been an amazing journey. It's definitely been our own university, no doubt about it, getting to ask that many people, all those questions, but also a way to provide a ton of value to people getting started in this space and, and just a network, you know, as, as hard as I can go. So uh, it's been great though. Uh, It's been, it's, done very well for us. And, and I think it's, it's, you know, teaching a lot of people about syndication business. Yeah. And it absolutely does. I mean, we first met, let's see, November, 2018. I remember it was Michael Blanc event here in the yep, DC area. Yeah. And somebody pointed you out and said, you know, he, he's a podcaster. He does his daily podcast. And they also mentioned that you, you have some military ties. So I was just like, military guy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to talk to him, but I've been listening to your podcast quite a bit lately. I haven't, I haven't listened to 800 of them. I'll I'll be honest, but I I will say it's, it's one of the better podcasts out there. And there, there's a lot of value to be had from, from the podcast. So appreciate that very, very much. 
So let's let's start with this. Let's talk about your background and your history, you know, and kind of, you know, lead us up to to what got you into apartment investing. You know, it started my apartment investing or real estate investing starting started in 2009. I had been in the military. I was overseas or actually I'll back up a little bit more because I think that military training says a lot about, you know, how we've progressed in business as well now. But back in the Mar- in March of 2001, I signed up, joined the National Guard at that time because I was uh, still in high school. And, but, you know, had no idea, obviously, then that in just a few months, our nation would be at war you know, and I would be spending a year, you know, very soon in Iraq uh, and, and really, uh, you know, just praying every day I get to go home. And unfortunately, not everyone in our squad made it home, uh, you know, so very fortunate to, to be home. And, and but I'm very thankful for that military time as well. Uh, a lot of things learned there and, and uh, that, uh, you know, I just couldn't have received anywhere else. Uh, but one thing mm-hmm. that I did learn there is it's just kind of like a never give up mentality. And it's so important, right? And Brian, you know that as well as anyone. I mean, when you're on the battlefield or you're, you know, it's not an option, right? There's other people that depend on you and you have to perform. Uh, And so that was, it was just, uh, you know, something that was key in, in what I learned in the military. But then also when I came home, trying to figure out what I was going to do, you know, for a career after coming back and, and becoming a police officer was kind of a, just a, a, a easy transition, right? Yeah, I love the natural, love the discipline, man, it just seemed like a, a good fit for me. And so I did, I became uh, one of, out of one of five positions, 1200 applicants, uh, you know, uh, got one of those for Kentucky state police, very blessed to have received that position and loved working the road as a police officer, uh, quickly though, determined after, after, you know, uh, working there a year, get married. And then my wife and I just passing each other in the hallway, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, this is not what's best making 35,000 a year, you know, on a good, on yeah. a good year. It's like, what, what is it going to be? And that's what pushed me into real estate. That was mm-hmm. 2009. And to speed up, you know, bought two triplexes, learned a lot the hard way, made a ton of mistakes or a lot of sleepless nights as well. And then, but then soon became a federal agent and that moved us to Virginia. I got better pay, better Mm -hmm. benefits, all those things, but still was in that J-O-B, right? And and still pursuing real estate. And, uh, but it's, but finally, a few years later, learned about the syndication business. And I honestly, I couldn't believe that I had known about this so many years before. Uh, yeah. I'd still been buying, buying and selling some real estate up to like a 15 unit, but that was as big as my mind could see, you know, at that time. If you'd have said, Whitney, you know, what about this 100 unit building? I would have said, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is that can buy that maybe 20 years from now. Yep. You know, I don't know who that is. Never imagined, you know, that we would be where we're at now. Uh, but started digging in and learning that, hey, there's a lot of guys that were buying 100 unit complexes that hadn't been in it much longer than I had, and maybe some even less uh, time. And so I'm like, okay, again, if they can do it, I can do it too. And, and that's really when the journey on syndication started. There's a ton, a ton of other things there that, that kept us motivated, kept us going, because it definitely was not easy. Uh, you know, the first couple of years doing a daily podcast and deals and working full time, happy to get into any of that and yeah. how we kept it together, because it was definitely a family unit. Or my, you know, my wife played a massive role in that, and, I, and I, I'm happy to go into that. But, but that's how we got to real estate. That's how we got, uh, briefly, how we got to syndication. And, uh, and then, obviously, tons have happened since then. Yeah. So, I, I mean, one thing that I, I do want to dive in, you know, a daily podcast. So, I mean, I do three episodes a week, and two of them are the interview types. And it's very time consuming. Number one, what possessed you to do a daily podcast? 
And number two, would you do it over again? I would definitely do it over again. And mm-hmm. a lot of people say, you know, has it been worth it? Uh, because it has, and, and I try not to paint a rosy picture here by mm-hmm. any means, because it's been crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has absolutely been an insane commitment. You know, one thing that made it simple to me at the time was I only knew of one other daily podcast in real estate, and he was yeah. sure doing well, <laughs> you yeah. know, in real estate. And I thought, okay, there's no reason to reinvent invent the wheel here. Let's just make it happen. And that was mm-hmm. just really my mentality. Uh, let's just go figure it out. Uh, obviously, there's numerous things that had to happen because uh, it has been absolutely insane and just man- managing the calendar. You know, I had to take that to whole new levels uh, mm-hmm. in building a team really quickly to make all that happen, just like you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So what's what's been the best thing for you about running a daily podcast? The networking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm networking with seven times as many people as most people, you know, that mm-hmm. run a weekly podcast. Yeah. Uh, so that's increased my network just extremely fast. Uh, and so everybody talks about your net worth being compared to your network. Well, you know, you you do the math there, however you want, but, you know, seven times compared to most and, and it's not been easy, but uh, that's probably one of the biggest things because whether it's partners or whether it's investors or whether it's it's people like you, Brian, that, hey, you know, it's, there may be some time we bounce things off each other, you know, that we've got to know each other. So many, so many people, so many, so many opportunities and open doors like that came from the podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I noticed the same thing. A lot of times I get people, almost every time the experienced investor I get on the podcast is is far more experienced than I am. And, and quite frankly, you know, when, when you bring an experience and an aspiring investor on the same show, you got to draw the line in the sand somewhere. And my first line in the sand was they've got to be more experienced than I am. You know, so when I started the podcast, I think we had, you know, roughly a hundred units, you know, three properties that we owned in a fourth under contract. So that was that was my line in the sand. And so bringing somebody more experiencing on every show, I get to learn and I get to double up on my networking because I'm bringing two people on every show. So, but yeah, hundred percent agree with that. That's, that's been an amazing thing for me as well. So, so let, let's talk a little bit more about some of the roadblocks you had getting started with syndication. I know you said you had you know several smaller apartment complexes prior to, what was it like moving from that into syndication? It's going to sound cliche because I hear it all the time on my podcast as well, but the mindset, uh, just being open to that it is a reality. Like it could be a reality that you could go purchase a hundred unit building within a year, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or so. Uh, I mean, it, it is a reality. That's, that's one big thing. Uh, you know, one big thing that had to happen when I started to was structuring my day mm-hmm. uh, in the mornings, having a very structured morning routine that helped change things, but that was still the mindset, right? And that was a roadblock, like cultivating that time, being very diligent and disciplined uh, about that. Uh, obviously, the first deal, finding those first partners, uh, getting connected with enough investors initially, uh, you know, were all roadblocks. But, you know, one of the biggest things probably uh, that kind of helped all that, and we've talked about it a little bit, was figuring out how to do that daily podcast, mm-hmm. making that happen. I had to spend so much time on that that I didn't get to probably spend time on things that maybe a lot of other people do initially, like mm-hmm. calling brokers, building those relationships and and doing different things like that, that I had to be so focused on this marketing piece and the podcast and that team uh, to make that happen. Because my time was so limited, I had to create that well-old machine really before I ever launched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's key. Uh, now, so where where in the process did that first syndication come? I mean, where like episode count where you're like episode number hundred? You know, where where in that process were you when you were able to get that first contract signed? That is a great question, and I think I was probably 
I'm just thinking back uh, time frame wise. I mean, I may have been 300 episodes in mm-hmm. before I, before I, and I partnered with another operator, mm-hmm. you know, in the first deal or two. Uh, and that was probably then because I was very picky about who, you know, who I was going to partner with. Mm-hmm. I had spent so much time and energy and money, you know, building my investor base up to that time and building this brand and, and the podcast. Uh, but I finally did. I partnered with someone and that was just, that just helped me to move so much faster because mm-hmm. uh, I'd had the brand. I had the investor base at that time. I couldn't raise a lot yet because that was the first deal that my investor base had seen. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the first thing they saw from me. And so uh, that's not always the one, obviously you're going to raise the most on. Right. Uh, but you know, or hopefully not. Right. Uh, but that really pushed me to the next level, but it probably was roughly 300 days in or so. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And what I, what I like, I think you did it smartly as well. I mean, you said something that you were very particular on your partners, which is, you know, I think absolutely crucial. You want to make sure you're, you're linked up with somebody that you're compatible with number one, but you also went with somebody who had experience already an experienced operator, which I think is probably one of the best ways to, to basically to get into the business. No doubt. So, all right. Well, that said, you talked a, a little bit about your why and, and reason for doing all of this. Can we distill your, your big burning why down in, in a couple of sentences? Yes. So big burning why, when my wife and I moved to Virginia, mm-hmm. we were exposed to the thought of, of adoption. And, mm-hmm. and, and we were listening to a pastor talk about how there's 160 million orphans in the world, 40 to 60 grand to bring one home. We had never even thought about adopting before, uh, adopting a child. But on our way home that night, the only thing we could think of was why would we not? Yeah. And so that that just has changed our lives uh, completely. Uh, within or actually within a week, we turned in an application to adopt from Ethiopia. Uh, uh, you know, two years later, our first son came home from Ethiopia. Within a, within another nine or ten months, our second son came home to adoption, and mm-hmm. then about a year and a half ago, our daughter was born to adoption as well. But the the first couple of those, it was such a struggle to pay for the pay for the adoption. I mean, we, we had a failed placement, lost tons of money. Um, I mean, you know, just, it's difficult, right? And so many families now that we talk to say, Whitney, that's more than I'm making a year. Yeah. You know, how can I, how can I do that? You know, and we're talking 160 million orphans in the world. Uh, I mean, it, it's just ridiculous that it's, that it's that burdensome to families that would make good parents. And so our goal from the very beginning was also start a foundation that uh, we've committed half of our personal profits to that will help these families with this burden, you know, of mm-hmm. adoption. If they'll commit to bringing their child home, we want to commit to helping them financially. And, and it's incredible how the Lord's worked through that. It was formed this past year. And, and we've just actually just yesterday talking to some other partners who are going to help us, you know, find those families and help them in big ways. So, so it's neat to see that moving along, but that, that was a big why, you know, and I'll show you another part of that mm-hmm. that's crucial to people getting started. You know, if you're going to, uh, you know, undertake something like a daily podcast, try to get in the syndication business, all this while you're working full time, you have kids, all these, I mean, my schedule was insane, yeah. uh, but I'll tell you, you know, if it wasn't for my wife and I led a little bit to this earlier, we couldn't have done it. You know, she's not into real estate. However, she's very passionate about our why, right? Yeah. She's very passionate about that mission. And so that also helped her to stay focused uh, and then just helped us to paint a bigger picture for our children too long-term when they see just week after week, daddy's not available or ultimately except on Sundays, maybe Saturday afternoons to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the reality of it, but that why was so important to, to all yeah. of us. Yeah. You know, and the reason I ask about the big burning why is because I found in my life, that's been the motivation before I had a deep and deep seated burning why, you know, in the center of my chest, I had a couple of rental properties, but it was more of a hobby than a business. And I think once, once I really 
wrap my head around and, and got that burning why fueled up and, and going, that, that's when I started getting a lot of traction. And it's really what helped me create the discipline that you were talking about. And, um, you know, oh, by the way, for those who are listening, you know, after I met Whitney in 2018, you know, he, had, he had a calendar link. I don't remember how I scheduled, but uh, contacted him. He's like, hey, let's, let's, let's get on the phone for a, for a quick chat. I went to his calendar link and his appointment started at like five o'clock in the morning. You know, so he, he was open from like five to seven in the morning and then from seven o'clock to like 10 p.m. every single day. So talking about work ethic, you know, Whitney has done exactly what he said he did, you know, waking up early, structuring his mornings and basically building a dawn to dusk work schedule. So so let's uh, let's shift gears a, a slight bit here and let's talk a little bit about, you know, one of the deals you've run or kind of a, an idea of what type of project you're looking for. So the majority of our projects, and I would say well over 700 of our units, maybe closer to 800, are all class C, I would say C plus. They're in great areas, but however, because of when they're built, say mid 70s, late 70s, they're classified as C, you know, class C projects. Most are nicer than I would lived in when I was renting, but um, <laughs> but there, there there was an you know a problem, right? We find these properties and it's usually mismanagement. They're under market rents. They haven't been updated in, in many, many years. Most people have heard that value add type yeah. plan and that's what we've done. You know, we find those properties, a lot of that's usually through broker relations or a property management relations as well. But, you know, these properties, uh, they'll be anywhere from, say, 15 to 40 million, you know, dollar purchase prices. Uh, we've done four proper, four projects this past year, mm-hmm. and uh, three of those were 30 to 35 million, you know, another about 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, th- that's the type of properties. How are, you know, Colorado Springs is where mm-hmm. those 700, 750 or so, or so are. And then we have another project in in Boise, Idaho as well. That's a nice. class A project there. Both both great markets. You know, I spent some time in Colorado Springs and uh, incidentally, I'll be moving to Idaho in about uh, 200 days. So, wow. Yeah. Um, not Boise, the other side of the state, but both are amazing markets and I know they're, they're both growing extremely fast. So, yeah. So I, I like it. I mean, C-class value add, uh, there, there's a lot, lot to be said about that asset class. And you're right. I think that's you know, kind of the standard profile for a lot of people who are in the syndication business, uh, or at least starting out. So one question about those. Now you said earlier, you, you partnered with on your first deal, at least you partnered with somebody and brought capital. Is that still what you're doing? Or are you guys doing, pardon the expression, cradle to grave on, on these? We're doing cradle to grave. So I did partner on a couple of projects early on to obviously to get started, to learn more about the business, to grow our network and and really our investor base to see us doing larger deals than what they'd ever seen us do before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that just goes so far, you know, to expose them to that. Uh, but no, now uh, my business partner now and I are doing the complete, complete thing. Mm-hmm. It's just us. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. And yeah, I mean, one thing that I think everybody realizes is you're, you're, you can only grow as fast as you can bring in money in this business. You know, so that, that investor base is crucial. And going back to what you said, you know, quite a bit ago in the, in this episode is, you know, you spent a lot of time growing that investor base before you jumped into actually syndicating. And personally, I think that's, that's the right way to do it. I wish I would have spent more time doing that myself uh, I actually spent a lot more time on the the hard skills, the analysis, and and the going through you know paperwork and such. And when it came time to actually raise money, whew, it was not easy. I'll tell you that. All right. So what's what's next for you and and LifeBridge? 
no, that's an awesome question, and I think important. In our I mean, one of our big focuses this year is uh, on the obviously get the nonprofit better branded and and promote it, and and that be going strong. Uh, but on the business side, we want to do uh, four to six deals this year. We'd love to move mm-hmm. into another market and potentially even another asset class. Okay. Interesting. Any markets uh, in particular that you have your eye on or is that still a work in progress? It is a work in progress. I mean, we are obviously mostly in the West, all in the West. Uh, mm-hmm. That is where our focus is. Uh, and so other Western markets, uh, I mean, between uh, Salt Lake City or Cheyenne or, you know, there's a mm-hmm. few in there that uh, could potentially be one that we'll, we'll consider strongly. All right. I was born and raised in Salt Lake City and, you know, try to keep my, my finger on the, its pulse and it's it's a good market to be in. A lot of growth expected. So good, good. All right. One more shift in gears here. Uh, we've had you know June waiting patiently on the line here. So we're going to bring him in right now. Uh, first, a quick introduction. He's an active duty Navy officer, and he just started a company, Brighter Future Capital. Graduated from the Naval Academy in 2019 and started his real estate investing career by house hacking a duplex. Uh, he's determined to achieve financial freedom through commercial multifamily investing within the next five years while serving as an information professional in the United States Navy. That said, June, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. And, yeah. you know, like I said before, what you're doing is amazing. You know, I have a lot of friends who are in my age range, a lot mm-hmm. of aspiring investors more than the experience side. Yep. So they told me, you know, all about it, how great it was, how they got to meet someone, you know, that they want to be in the next mm-hmm. few years. And it's just been great. I've been just waiting my turn to be yeah. on this awesome podcast. And I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You know, and I know, let's see, Julia is, is one of your business partners who's been on the show. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, she was absolutely amazing. So good for you for for finding a great partner like that. But uh, yeah, I've, I've been excited. I've seen you on, on social media for a while. And I think uh, you went on, was it the ADPI podcast? Yes. Talking about your house hack. So mm-hmm. for, for where you are, you know, age-wise, I mean, you graduated Naval Academy in 2019. So, you know, shot in the dark, I'm going to assume you're 22, 23 years old. 24. <laughs> 24. Oh, so you were, you were one of the older guys going to the Naval Academy. Um, <laughs> no, but that's, uh, you know, where you're at right now. I, I wish I was there. You know, if I, if I could rewind my life 20 years, I, I wish I could say 20 years ago that I owned a duplex. So, so that said, let's, let's talk a little bit more about your background and history and what really got you into apartment investing. Absolutely. So I was actually born in South Korea, uh, family moved to Guam when I was little. So Guam is considered home for me, mm-hmm. um, came to the States, uh, Naval Academy for college. And yeah, here I am just graduated about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. uh, currently stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, my first tour. Um, thankfully I'm not on a ship yet. I will soon be. <laughs> so I'm just getting ready for that. But right now I've been just working on my qualification process mm-hmm. and just kind of learning the ropes of the Navy mm-hmm. and on the spare time, also trying to learn about real estate investing. Like you said, my exposure to it was the VA loan, mm-hmm. um, specifically the VA rehab loan, which uh, not a lot of people nice. know about actually. Yeah. Um, awesome product where you can roll in the cost of the renovation into the mortgage and still come up with 0% down payment. Uh, And it was perfect for someone like me who just graduated, not a lot of capital and Mm -hmm. who can really get the experience of like a lot of things in the real estate investing world, 
the、mm-hmm. whole buying process, running the numbers, the renovation process, and if you want, you can also、uh, manage the property myself yourself. So that first deal, first and only, right now has、mm-hmm. been、um, great for me, and I've been house hacking it for about a year now. And when I finished the whole process, I was、uh, thinking about what should I do next. You know, okay. Once I finished the renovations and、mm-hmm. got the renters in, and I'm living in it,、uh, yep. what's next for me? And so I kept going to the real estate investing meetups as I have done. And actually,、uh, apartment syndication was a topic that kept being brought up to my attention.、Mm-hmm. But you know, it sounded awesome, but it didn't seem that realistic for someone like me. <laughs>、yeah. I've done one deal.、Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for a hundred unit, but Actually, I met a couple of investors who were、um, just around my experience level. Obviously, a little bit more, but like they would do a triplex, and then their next deal would be a hundred five unit、mm-hmm. uh, in the area, and that just blew my mind. You know, I was like, "What did you actually? How did you go from just residential owning one or two properties to、mm-hmm. managing or owning all these、uh, apartment complexes?" And I, I was able to learn about the whole syndication business.、Yeah. Uh, went to a lot of conferences and started listening to podcasts like、uh, Whitney's Syndication Show. You know,、mm-hmm. that was one of the first ones I discovered and still listen to. Yeah. And、um, for the past few months, I've been just educating myself and trying to build a brand and investor base and hopefully do a、uh, deal. Whoa. In 2021. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, you you got you got a little bit of whiff of it, and basically decided to to jump all in. You know, so good on you. So, what's what's your big burning why? What's what's your big motivation for this? Yes. So actually, when I was in college at the Naval Academy, I knew nothing about real estate investing.、Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about finances. Actually, financially illiterate. <laughs> you know, going out all the time, credit card debt, and I mean, obviously that's. It's just what I knew, and I didn't really think much about it until actually in、uh, senior year I was diagnosed with、uh, cancer, and I'm I'm all healthy now and I'm good. But when it happened at the time, I was、uh, everything was just basically、uh, nothing really mattered except、mm-hmm. for me and、uh, people that I care about.、Mm-hmm. So. I did a lot of self-reflection and、uh, came to realize that I want, when something like this were to happen again to someone I love, I want to make sure that you know I want to be there for them.、Yeah. And it was it was really hard because my family was in Guam and I was in Maryland、um, mm-hmm. going through the process.、Uh, thankfully, the cancer itself, the type of cancer, was not very. Very high likelihood of success、mm-hmm. in terms of、um, being recovered. So I was never really too worried about actually, you know, getting too sick. But just, you know, the idea that I was away from, you know, people I love, and I know they were worried and hurting,、yeah. was、uh, very stressful for me. So that's when I started to really just read about financial literacy. Was one of the topics I decided to get into and.、Mm-hmm. Uh, become hopefully one day, you know, become financially、uh, free, and live my life on my own terms, basically. So, as I kept reading books,、uh, discover real estate investing. That's how I was able to、uh, learn about the house hacking and VA、mm-hmm. loan,、um, and that's why I decided to jump in it right after graduation. And 
once I learned about apartment syndication, the ability to scale so much faster, I thought it was the best way overall to um, yeah. get to uh, financial independence, the quick yeah. way. Well, that, that's, that's powerful right there. You know, first of all, I'm glad you're healthy now. Can't imagine having gone through that, but going through that like you did and coming out on the other side saying, I want to help other people is, is just powerful and it's amazing and, and hats off to you. That said, you know, let's, let's help you along in that apartment investing journey. And June, we got Whitney on the line here. What do you want to ask him? Thank you. You know, I, I thanked you, Brian, earlier, but I also want to uh, thank you, Whitney, because uh, you were uh, one of the first figures in the apartment syndication world that I came across, like I said, or before we went online, that uh, I first heard you speak at our local meetup. And, you know, we got connected on Bigger Pockets. We didn't say anything, but I just added you, say thank you. Uh, I love your show and I'm very excited to be here. And I also want to say that, um, you actually inspire me a lot to also give back to the cause that I care about. Because when I learned about how you donate 50% of your profits into adoption and things like that, I was like, wow, like that is another way to give back that I never thought about. So actually you inspire me a lot to personally donate 20% of my profits to help children with cancer. Um, obviously, uh, haven't, I'm not there yet, but um, and I hope to increase the number over the years. But I just want to say thank you so much. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. That's a, that's a win in my book right there, just to encourage you to give back and, and others. So thank you. Okay. Actually, speaking of that topic, my uh, first question is uh, related to that. So how do you streamline that process of giving back? Uh, you mentioned briefly earlier about foundation. Is there any software you use? Is it done manually or like the timeline of it? Can you uh, just talk a little bit? Yeah, about it? it's been a whole new learning, <laughs> you know, uh, ball game for me. You know, we're uh, running a foundation or starting a foundation. There's been a lot to learn there. My, you know, a couple team members have also had to learn a lot. Um, but that's been it's it's kind of its own separate thing over here, you know. And obviously, that's something I'm doing. My my whole team's not doing that. They're not required to do that. Uh, of course. Um, but ultimately it, it's not that complicated and, and to at least get started, like we wanted to start giving as quickly as possible. And so we got the foundation started. That took some time, find somebody to help me with that, make sure we're doing it legal. You know, there's no gray area and that it's done properly. And then, and then ultimately it was almost the end of the year last year before we, we like gave, we're like, okay, this is what we need to give this year. Cause it was almost the end before the foundation was, uh, was formed, you know, so we had to wait for that. We gave and then now ultimately we've created other partnerships and really people that we that helped us when we were adopting uh, early on uh, and now we've reached back out to say hey you know this is what the lord's led us to do and and we just wonder if there's a, a way for us to partner cuz just the like application process and thinking through what families do we help and how much do you help and you know it's hard right you know, turning people away or helping some more than others uh, and so since we don't have that figured out just yet we don't want to wait uh, to give and so we'll partner with a couple of other of these nonprofits who are already have families that are in need. They're in the process. They're ready to go. And, and we'll be able to help speed that process up or also help encourage people like providing what we're wanting to do, provide a matching grant. 
uh, for those families so they can uh, quickly, you know, it'll occur, encourage them to get started in the process, right? So maybe they, um, you know, they're, they're have that mindset of we can't come up with the amount 40 to 60 grand, but if they already knew they had a matching grant to do a fundraiser and we helped them with a fun, fundraiser, then it may encourage them to go ahead and take the plunge mm-hmm. to, to make it happen, you know, and help them commit. And so nothing too complicated on the, you know, financial side other than, uh, and now, you know, pay myself, I pay the foundation, you know, so now it's a, it's a lot easier, uh, but getting started, it wasn't that way. We had to wait to get the foundation started and things like that. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. I'll, I'll definitely have to do uh, more research on that part, but um, that, that, that made it a lot more uh, simpler in my head. So thank you for that. Also, right now, you know, very hot market, I'm sure across <laughs> the, the US in general. I've been having a hard time actually um, trying to, always getting outbid <laughs> by other investors and just whenever a property is listed and I uh, contact brokers, it's just been hard getting information, especially with uh, lack of experience. So I wanted to ask you, what percentage of the deals that you do are found off market? And do you have any uh, advice on uh, how to, how I should go about finding these? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, first, what kind of properties are you looking for? Like, what are you, when you say like you're looking at some, you're underwriting, you want to make an offer, what type of deal is that? Um, my partners and I are looking at around 40 to 80 unit or 100 unit uh, C properties in my local area, actually, uh, under around uh, 4 million, 2 to 4 million. Okay. All, all of ours are through brokers. They are. I mean, those broker relations have been just crucial. And we spent a lot of time on those broker relations, especially after we've done numerous deals. Uh, you know, that becomes a lot easier. And now we're not having the burdens that, that you are to some extent. But to back up, you know, I'd like, let's talk about your team a little bit. You know, you said your partners, you're looking for 40, 40 to 80 unit properties. Who are your partners and what's their experience? Absolutely. So actually, they were on this podcast as well, Brian, Mauricio and Princess. <laughs> we oh. met on Dealmakers Live and they are based in California. Um, they said they expressed uh, their skills. They're able to raise money. They're able to underwrite and things like that. But mm-hmm. because they're in California and especially with the pandemic, it's been harder to travel outside. So they were looking for uh, different markets and so uh, we got connected. They knew that I was in uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia mm-hmm. uh, area. So they said, hey, if you find a deal and bring it to us and um, you can do due diligence, maybe we can work something out. So that's... Have they done any deals before? So they have other teammates. Or they, I think they have like a... They have one under contract. They, uh-huh. they were actually, I mean, literally the last two episodes that I released. Yeah. Um, but... Uh-huh. They, they have one under contract right now that they should be a closing on in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. But, you know, one thing I was thinking about, you, you got to have somebody that has experience a lot of times or a lot of times partnering with somebody just like I did, like so many people do. Partnering with somebody that has the experience. So when you're talking to that broker, you talk about the team. Everybody's heard mm-hmm. this, but it's so true. You talk about the team and what the team has accomplished and what deals they've done and their track record and things like that, as opposed to saying, you know, or I mean, you're going to tell them maybe you've never done a deal, but but the team has done these things. You're going to be transparent and honest for sure. Uh, but but that may not be the focus of the conversation when you can talk about the team and what they have done. Uh, and because that that broker or whoever that is needs confidence that you can raise the money and that you know how to close the deal, those things. You know, that's what they're judging when they're interviewing you. That's what they're trying to figure out. You know, how high is this person going to go on my 
on my mm-hmm. Rolodex here, you know, to call, you know, when I have an opportunity. Uh, and obviously, the more experience that you can show, the better. You do have to get started somewhere, though. So, I, you know, you do have to just hustle and, and, and until you get it. I mean, until you make it happen. But there are things that can help you. Like I said, like leaning on your team's experience, um, you know, and not just yours, uh, but thinking through that. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, this deal that they're doing, maybe that will give you that boost or give you, you know, your team that experience. But you have to think about how your team's structured, you know, and who's a part of that team and who you're partnering with, those things. But happy to go into any of that. Awesome. Love to dig into that a little bit more later, if that's okay. <laughs> Another question is, what advice would you give to a new investor who's conducting due diligence for the first time? Don't do it by yourself. <laughs> you know, yeah, have an experienced one. team mm-hmm. member, uh, but have... Uh, so one of the problems I made on my first deal in 2009 was not doing proper due diligence. Uh, you know, I, I did hire, you know, I, I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this really good. I'm going to hire a professional company uh, to come in and help me look at every nut and bolt and crook and cranny and crevice and, and all these things, which I did, you know, this company came in very well known, pulls in in their truck, you know, all labeled up and, you know, looks all fancy, right? Think, okay, you know, I've got, I've got this, you know, we're going to figure out what we need to know here. And, he did. He went and I followed him in every attic space and underneath and everywhere, flush and ever toilet and, you know, everything in between. However, there were, you know, he, it was more like nothing's wrong. It didn't help me. You know, that was kind of, you know, his booklet, his nice printed out booklet he gave me said, well, you know, here's a few things that might need to be fixed, but no real big concerns. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't help me to think through, okay, well, these AC units are 30 years old. You know, I mean, that seems so simple, right? But you're so motivated for that first deal. You know, there's just things like, you know, you're so ready and you trust, I trusted the seller too much, trusted the, the, or that realtor too much, you know, at that time at, that has done that before and been through that before. Even if they're not part of this partnership, hired them to come and, and help. Yeah. Yeah. And I, same thing on our first one, we came in with an army of people. I think there one of go. the... One of the things that helped us a lot, we, we did have a property inspector uh, come with us. We had a contractor and the property management company came out big for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to pay them to do it. You know, they, they kind of told us, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll send, we'll send a rep with you to walk through it. But if you want X, Y, and Z done, you're going to have to pay for it. You know, we, we don't, we don't do that for free type stuff. So, you know, we, we paid their maintenance guy an hourly rate and we paid the general contractor that works for the property manager, an hourly rate for the entire day coming out, walking the property with us. And fortunately I was in a mentorship program. I had a mentor. Uh, he wasn't there on the property with us, but he was pulling the strings, telling us exactly what to do. And then when we got the reports back, he was looking over our shoulders as well. I, I think, I think what Whitney said is, is absolutely key, you know, get help, you know, absolutely get people to help you get as many eyes on as you can and, and make sure you have experience behind you. But uh, I think that's a great point, Brian. Obviously our systems have changed a ton now and, yep. and hopefully if you're buying 40 to 80 unit buildings, you already know who that property management partner is going to be. And like Brian said, it is so crucial that they are there. I mean, that they're helping you through due diligence. Mm-hmm. I mean, we bring in people now that are experts on roof, you know, just roofing and they walk yep. every, every roof. If there's 20 buildings, guess what? They're climbing on every building. Mm-hmm. There's HVAC experts. There's, I mean, just you name it, plumbing and all, you know, parking lots, you know, all those things. Um, there's experts about each of those things and we want to make sure they're there yeah. during due diligence. And here's, here's the great part. Most of those experts will actually do it for free. 
Because if the roofer gets on 20 roofs and 10 of them are old and bad, they've got a good shot at getting the contract. You know, it's the same thing for the HVAC experts. You know, if they come out and look at all the HVACs for you, um, they may charge a little bit, but it's worth your money. But, you know, the, I don't think an asphalt contractors ever charge us a dime for coming out and looking at the parking lots. Right. You know, same, yeah. Same with the landscape guys, you know, you come out and say, Hey, you know, what are some recommendations on, on what you guys would do if you came out here and they'll give you an itemized price list. But, uh, you know, the one, the one follow-up I'll say is while you're doing due diligence, make sure you're sharpening your pencil on your underwriting and all of your key assumptions and, that way, when you walk out of the due diligence period, your numbers are tight. You know, your numbers are tight and you're able to say to your investors, this is exactly how much it's going to cost to renovate X, Y, and Z. And that way you'll, you'll make sure that you're, you're properly funded. That said, June, we, we got time for one more question. Okay. Did you have a mentor? Uh, do you recommend, how do you recommend finding one and what does it take to become a good mentee? It's a great question, and it's talked about so much in our industry, and there's so many different viewpoints on this. I always say a mentor is a must, uh, but I also say they don't have to be a paid mentorship. Um, there's many good paid mentorships. There's many paid ones that are not so good uh, as well, as I'm sure Brian uh, has heard or talked to many people in a lot of different programs like I have. Um, vetting that that person is so crucial. One thing, a few things that were very important to me when I was looking for a mentor is finding somebody that's in the business right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they've done it. They're, they're in the business right now. They didn't like make it big 10 years ago or been in real estate for 30 years. And all of a sudden they retired 10 years ago. Now they're just mentoring on somebody that was active. I also wanted somebody that I could speak to a one-on-one. I didn't, I didn't want somebody that had a, a team of, and, th- and this is not always bad, but, but it just was my preference that they didn't have like a team of coaches under them. And I never got to speak to that person, you know, or, or it was like a group call once a month or once a quarter or something like that. I wanted that, that one-on-one. So, you know, we could hash out things um, that were happening with me right then. And I could ask those important questions kind of when I needed to. And, you know, one thing I, I like to think about too, when, when I first signed up for a mentoring, I think my first month was like $12,500. And to us at that time, it was such a big commitment. I mean, we were starting another adoption process. We had lots of things happening. And I mean, I almost didn't do it because I thought, oh, we, we need this money. Like, I don't know if we should do this. You know, that mentorship now is 50000 you know, for that same person, you know. Uh, and so... But all that to say, even if it had been fifty thousand, I couldn't have done it then. Uh, but if I if I knew then what I know now, it would have been so worth it. It would have been so worth it to have had that mentorship, to provide that confidence, to have somebody I can call that's been there and done that. Uh, so many times, I, you know, there's people in this business who, who really question me about different things, especially doing a daily podcast, people that I really respected and thought, ah, maybe I should listen to them. And he was like, Whitney, that's, that's why you have to do it, you know, but that's all it took. And there's numerous times that that happened to help me to stay encouraged, uh, you know, and keep going. Right. But, but I say that to say too, it doesn't have to be a paid mentorship. I, I looked at numerous programs. I traveled to different conferences to hear different people speak, you know, that, that offer mentoring and things like that and get to talk to them in person. That was, that was a game changer as well. There's numerous that I, I met in person. And I'm like, okay, this is, I was considering, but I'm like, no, I'm not handing this person $20,000. You know, I just did not feel good about it for one reason or another. Uh, while I know many others who have done really well in that program. So you have to kind of assess that. Another thing I did was go to bigger pockets, find people that are in that program mm-hmm. 
And I ask them, hey, you know, do you mind to, to have a call just for me to ask you some questions about your experience? Numerous people were willing to talk to me, you know, about that coaching program. And still, I learned, you know, different things about different mentors that, that helped me to guide that decision uh, to finally one I feel like was, was perfect for me, uh, you know, and has been and created a great relationship, you know, now uh, and moving forward. Uh, but as far as being a great mentee, it just know that the burden's on you to make it happen. True. And I mean, my mentor, he does no handholding and I make that clear to people. He's going to help you, you know, every way you can, but he's not going to call you and say, you know, Hey, June, you know, have you been working on this? You know, have you got this done or, you know, that's just not going to happen for most programs. I don't think, mm-hmm. um, but you have to be willing to, to have to be driven. Um, it, it remind, I like this, uh, Henry David Thoreau. He says, you cannot dream yourself into character. You must hammer and forge yourself in one. And that that's me. I mean, it really, was like hammer and forging uh, to make this happen uh, where we're at now. And, and, you know, I'm continuing to hammer and forge, but even finding that mentor and being a good mentee, I just had to be willing to push as hard as I can and not quit, just like you've had to do uh, through the Naval Academy and, you know, different experiences uh, that you're going to have as well. Yeah. You know, that perfect answer. I mean, definitely vet it out. I'll tell you, I, I paid 25 grand for the coaching program I went through and looking at it, almost three years later, the only thing I would have done differently is I would have signed up 10 years ago. I mean, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, that's the, yeah. my honest opinion of it was, was the coaching program. I went through perfect. No, it wasn't, but it worked. And really I made it work is, is what right. happened. And a lot of people who talk to me about it, you know, I say the same thing. I'm like, look, if you're willing to make it work, it'll work. And, and that's, that's, absolute key to, to where I am right now. And I've said many times, I think it's accelerated my success Um, without coaching. My first multifamily deal probably would have been somewhere around a six or an eight unit with a six figure price tag, you know? So our first apartment complex indication was a 55 unit with a $4 million price tag. So that was the difference between, you know, me, no coaching and me with coaching. But, uh, you know, that said, we're we're pretty much out of time. I want to thank both of you guys one more time for for giving me some time today on the show. This has been an amazing discussion. Um, one more question for each of you, and Whitney, go first. How can our investors learn more about you? LifeBridgeCapital.com. You can learn a lot about our team there and the deals that we've done. Also, you can email me at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. You can call or text. 540-585-4338 and look forward to speaking with you. All right. There you go. And that information is going to be in the show notes. Um, hop on his email distro list too, as well. Uh, I get it in my inbox every week and it's, it's a lot of good information. Uh, June, same questions for you. Um, brighterfuturecapital.com. Um, it'll have all my contact information, my social media, LinkedIn, all that. Or you can also email me at june at brighterfuturecapital.com. All right. Perfect. And that information will also be in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to contact either Whitney or June, go to the show notes, you know, and you should be able to just tap a link and it'll whisk you away to their, their websites or social media profiles. All right. Hey, thanks so much again to both of you for coming on the show. I think you added a ton of value and look forward to talking with you guys again next time. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Nice to meet you, June. Thank you so much, both of you. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. 
If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.